This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Monday, February 13th of 2017, it's episode 104. In this episode, naming and renaming characters in our games, plus Pugmire, Fellowship, and No Thank You Even, and a question about play-by-post gaming. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. And I'm sick. Yes, you are. So I apologize, my voice is going to sound less pleasant than usual, which is to say, cheese grater instead of, like, fine ricer. Yeah, we we delayed this by about four days because I was sick. And well, I was super Grant, sick as well. Yeah, well, we were both sick. Now I'm no longer sick and Grant is still sick. So I guess one sick host is better than two? But sadly, this is actually me well on the upswing. You got a little bit of the James Earl Jones thing going. Your voice is exactly. a little deeper. But Peter and I actually haven't talked in a while because we uh, took a, a recording session off after that lengthy two-parter that we did about fitness and gaming. Thank you for everyone who uh, listened to that and indulged us in a tangent there. Hopefully you found it useful. Like I said in the first part of that episode, we wanted to do something that was good for our listeners. Very often we're giving advice to listeners on how to help other people at the table. And we thought it would be nice to give advice that was helpful to you, the listener. And, you know, also other people at the table, but specifically for you. So that was one of our goals for that. We do have a lot of gaming to catch up on, though. Yeah, we missed a, a game session due to the illness, too, which was kind of a bummer, but... Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, the session we had before that went pretty well. Yes, it did. <laughs> a bit of a side quest, as it were, that you guys created, climbing a mountain for not a whole lot of good reason, but hey, whatever. Well, you know, we were trying to get some better navigational landmarks and stuff, so... Yep, and how best to navigate the ocean than climbing a mountain. <laughs> hey, it was right there. I mean... It... No, no, it was very convenient, except for the part where it's across the water and really steep. Yeah. On the other side of things, our Pugmire arc, if you will, wrapped up, and we are going to be preparing for Fellowship. And I'm really excited about that. Cool. Uh, Fellowship is a a Powered by the Apocalypse game that sort of purports to be the... The Fellowship of the Ring-style group of heroes representing different races and cultures journeying together on a quest to defeat the evil overlord. It's not Tolkien-esque, necessarily. Yeah, you mentioned this game in our what is now filling in for the old New Year's Resolution episode. We were talking about the gaming we wanted to do for the year, and this was one of the things on the list. It's only February, and you're going to get to this. Good job. I know. It's pretty exciting. The other cool thing is that a guy who's... um, who's never GM'd before is running it, which is great. Yeah, I don't know where the, the myth of, like, first GMing try always goes poorly happens, because a lot of the time, novice GMs are all full of good ideas and energy and stuff, and they actually do a pretty good job. Well, what has me really hyped here is that uh, he's taking this, and instead of instead of taking it Tolkien-y fantasy, he's going fairy tale fantasy, heavily inspired oh, by the Fables comic. Have you read Fables? Uh, I haven't read any significant portion of it, but I did play that The Wolf Among Us game, so I have a a sense of the feel of it, at least. Okay. Good game, by the way. I've heard it's good. We're kind of going in that direction, kind of a Bavarian dark fairy tale style, but also a little bit of weird lightness mixed in, a little bit of anime influence and a little bit of traditional fantasy coming from me, and, and just all this weird stuff coming in. 
So it'll, it should be a lot of fun. Huh. Yeah, I'll definitely be very interested to hear how that goes. Yeah, yeah, me too. And then I got to sit down with my four-year-old daughter and play a game of No Thank You Evil. Oh, okay. How does that play? Uh, I've heard a lot about it. Uh, it uses the cipher system. Okay. And what's nice about No Thank You Evil is that it has three tiers, if you will, of complexity. It doesn't make the game harder or easier. Like, it's not a difficulty setting, it's a complexity setting. So as you get older kids, they have more options to manage and more things that they are managing on their character sheet. But it's still pretty simple. So is the idea to be able to kind of walk them into the full cipher system and play Numenera with them or something when they're done? Uh, I mean, probably, but, you know, it's designed for like 4 to 12. Yeah, but I mean, once you hit 13, I, that's when a lot of people start playing role-playing games for real, as it is. Yeah, so. well, I mean, this this is really designed to be its own thing. Like, it's not designed to teach people the cipher system. It's designed to sit down and have fun with kids. Yeah, Fair it's, enough. It's not a marketing thing. Well, yeah, I know. It was... It's too much of its own product, but yeah, I yeah, wouldn't be surprised so. if that was kind of deliberately in there to make a smooth transition. Uh, maybe, but also I think just because it works really well, right? Here is your character. It's on a card that you pick. Here is a companion. Here is a power, right? It's it's very simple, which is great for kids. Yeah. Well, and the kind of half-crunchy, half-descriptive cipher system works really well for that sort yeah. of thing, too. It's kind of a sweet spot there. Anyway. So... Uh, that went pretty well. I'm hoping to do it again soon with her, but for various reasons, we have not been able to sit down and do it. So she responded well to it. That's good. She did. She had a little trouble getting into it at first, but that was mostly because she didn't want to do it wrong, which is a very four-year-old thing. That's a very first gamer thing. Well, sure. But once she got the idea that she was kind of in charge, she took off with it, which was great. She had a lot of fun. She was playing a, an ice queen with a flying kangaroo named Flib. So, you know, silly and, and fun. And, and each session only takes about 30 minutes. Really easy. Great for kids, right? Good for shorter attention spans. Yeah, That's I don't know that she could have focused a whole lot longer, but That's fair. it worked out well. Also, it's the first time I've ever run a module. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. How did that I'm, go? Uh, it went fine, but I they have a little module uh, intro adventure in the box. It's, uh, I think, called Lost in Dragon Snot Falls or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, very, it's very childy, yes. Well, it's actually kind of a cool idea. It's a giant dragon that was turned to stone ages ago and now has a waterfall coming out of its nose, which is kind of something I just want to put in any game. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool, right? And yeah. so now you have these caves that are its nostrils, and there are witches trying to steal the dragon's stone heart, and they have to go in and stop it. Interesting. And rescue a friend of theirs who's uh, who's lost down there. Uh, and there are kind of clues like, you know, he'll be down this passage versus this passage, that sort of thing. But it was, it was a lot of fun. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, more than we already have, but it went very well and I'm hoping to get back to it and maybe write up something eventually. Cool. All right, we have kind of a big topic to get to. First, I want to remind everyone, uh, if you aren't doing so already, follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Google+, we're on there as Saving the Game. Uh, also, rate and review us on iTunes if you like what we do, or honestly, if you have any feedback at all. That helps a ton. It really does help push us up the iTunes ratings. Even just one review here and there helps a lot. And I feel it's worth mentioning that we don't always get to those ratings right away, but when we see them, we do tend to take them fairly seriously. Yep. Uh, we have actually adjusted our content a couple of times based on feedback that we've gotten from listeners. 
Yeah. Uh, that started any number of series and stuff, so we do listen. Yeah, we try and pay attention to that sort of thing. I mean, we try and pay attention to any feedback any of you guys give through yeah. any means, but that is as good as a feedback means as any, and it does help us out. So, yep. uh, let's get to our Patreon question. First, I want to remind all of our existing Patreon backers, who are all awesome people, through whom, by the way, this show is brought to you. I don't haven't mentioned this lately, but our, our show is 100% funded by our Patreon supporters, which is pretty awesome. You guys just yeah. all rock. But if you are a Patreon backer and you would like to get your question on our list of questions that we are about to roll on, Please send that in. Just email it to us, message it to us through Patreon, however you want to reach us to get us a question. And it doesn't have to be a gaming question. It can be as silly or as serious as you want, as long as it's clean. We don't care. Yep. We're happy to answer questions about cars, food, whatever, you know? Yeah. Peter's hair products. Peter uses a little bit of gel on his hair, for the record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever it is, ask away. We'll have fun with it. All right. Let's roll here, shall we? Yeah. All right, that's going to be, uh, oh, hey, cool, it's uh, Rich Lorenz, uh, who was very kind, by the way, and earlier sent me uh, a nice little gift outside of this. Cool. Uh, thank you, Rich, I, I really do appreciate that. I, I've already emailed him to say thank you, but it's worth thanking him again. All right, so here's a question from Rich. I want to get into play-by-post gaming, and I joined Gamers Plane. Do you have any tips for getting into this and keeping the momentum going over the long haul? For example, systems to use, posting length, how many times per week, etc. Don't do what I did. Good advice for anyone, really. I love the idea of play-by-post gaming. Every time I try it, I bog down horribly and ruin the game. I am kind of a perfectionist, and when I do play-by-post gaming, I tend to write lengthy replies to get as much in as I want. I fret and worry over everything, and I'm constantly monitoring it and constantly making myself anxious over it which eventually turns into paralysis and not posting things and feeling like I have to stay constantly on top of everything and then nothing nothing happens. Uh, I managed to ruin a perfectly good game that I was trying to run this way and uh, a fun play-by-post game that I was in briefly, I had to drop out of almost immediately because I just could not handle posting. Not posting regularly, but posting content at all. Having said that, knowing my own weakness on this, I would say post about as often as other people post. Like, don't try and go crazy. One thing you don't want to do, and it's easy to do in a play-by-post situation, is respond immediately to every single post. Give other people room to respond, right? Let other people go through their day and have time to respond, and then, you know, jump back in as needed. You'll figure that out as you go. Posting length, don't go too long. It's better to get something out than paralyze yourself trying to get everything in at once. And systems, I don't know, whatever you guys are having fun doing. Yeah, so I've been in two play-by-post games that I would consider to be good ones. And mm -hmm. my advice is a little bit more, I suppose, cynical than yours is, which is to say accept that it's going to fall apart at some point. Play-by-post is one of the most difficult forms of gaming to keep going at all, period. Both of these things, one was on the Paizo forums back kind of when they had first started releasing Pathfinder content, and we decided to run through the original adventure path that they did, the Rise of the Rune Lords, I want to say it was, or something, something like that. Something like that, yeah. And our party made it probably about three quarters of the way through the first module before people just kind of wandered away and stopped posting. 
right. that happens. The other one was over on the Fear the Boot boards, where uh, his form handle is Goat Unit. I don't think he listens to this podcast, but uh, he's actually a very good GM. He was running a Jagged Alliance-style Mercenaries game, which immediately piqued my interest because that's one of my favorite video games of all time. That lasted for a while, and then, once again, somebody had life issues and it just fell apart. If a play-by-post game doesn't get any posts at all, for about three or four days, usually it's gone. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, because you can respond whenever, people keep putting it off and procrastinating on posting. Yep. If you want to keep it going, you've got to stay on top of it. Yeah. I will say that, uh, systems-wise, as Grant said, it doesn't really matter. I mean... The one over on the Paizo forums, it was either D&D 3.5 or Pathfinder. I forget which they were using at that point in their development. I think it was still 3.5. And the other one, I'm not even, I don't even remember what system it was. Maybe World of Darkness or something? One thing I will say, don't worry about dice. There are some GMs who've been burned in the past by people cheating through forum-based play-by-posts. But by and large, people aren't going to do that. And it's going to be really obvious when people start to cheat with dice in yeah. a play-by-post game. So don't fret about having, like, third-party dice-rolling stuff or, you know, making the GM roll all of your dice, that sort of thing. I think Goat Unit, actually, in his play-by-posts, did roll all the dice, at least for one game. I, I can't remember, remember but... what he was doing for the one that I was in. I will say that whatever it was, it worked out fine. I mean, the, yeah. the story was good. We were having fun. It was just somebody had life stuff, and it never we never got back to it, which is yeah. sad. It is sad. <laughs> Uh, but the point is, don't worry about people cheating. Just do your part with the dice. Help things move along. If you really need to authenticate dice rolls, there are sites that do it. And I think Gamers Plane probably has um, play-by-post stuff built in. You put it in a dice expression and it'll show, hey, it legitimately rolled this. Any forum dedicated to play-by-post stuff probably has that. Yeah. I think my only other bit of advice is try and leave a little bit to the other player's imagination. And this gets somewhat into length, but don't try and describe every little thing. You're going to bog yourself down. Stick to what's necessary, throw in a couple of highlight details. You know, maybe at the start be a little more descriptive in the same way that you would with, you know, hey, here's my character, he's kind of getting in the spotlight for the first time, let's do a little intro pastiche on this character. But, you know, you don't need to describe which finger you're picking something up with every single time or, you know, oh, how exactly how many buttons are on your coat that you just changed into, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That said, um, if you've got some writing skill, go ahead and use it. Readable posts are good. Proofread your stuff before you hit send. Oh, please proofread. Yes. Use Chrome's built-in spell check or Grammarly or anything. Proofread your stuff. Try and avoid word clusters too. And I, I say this as somebody who has a real problem with them writing. Yeah. Use line breaks. Multiple paragraphs. Do not put everything in one paragraph. It will be so much easier to read. Yeah. So this gets into writing advice, but if you're doing a play-by-post kind of a thing, when you switch to a different idea, stick a line break in there. Break it up that way. Because as you're going through, first of all, those breaks can actually add weight to what's in them. If you've got like one little small sentence in there, that hits a lot harder than if it's buried in the middle of a whole bunch of other text. Yeah, don't it, abuse that, but it's, yeah. it is functional. Yeah, I think that's about all I got for play-by-post. I'm not exactly Sweet. an expert, and I'm happy to admit it. <laughs> that's fine. But hey, good question, Rich. If you'd asked about mudding advice, I could give you more, but 
Play by post. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Send us your uh, your new question. Rich is good about that, so I'm excited to see the next one. Yeah. And of course, like I said, if you guys want to uh, get your questions in, we'd really love to see those. We've got a, a small number of questions, but there are a lot of people who haven't sent one in in a while, and we'd love to get those. And of course, if you want to support us on Patreon, get your own question on the list if you are not don't have one there already. Patreon.com slash saving the game. Yep. All right. We have a wall of of uh, scripture here. I mean, yes, this is the most scripture we've ever had for any single podcast episode. So why don't I start with Genesis here and you can pick up with Isaiah and we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, definitely. All right. We've got two passages from Genesis. The first is Genesis 17, three to six. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And the second passage from Genesis is Genesis 41, 50-52. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of An. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And next, from the Old Testament, we have Isaiah 62, verses 1 and 2. For Zion's sake I will not keep quiet. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet, till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. And we have two passages from Matthew here. The first is Matthew 1, 20-21. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And the second portion from Matthew is Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And we have Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 11. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And finally, we have Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Our topic tonight, and you may have picked this up from all of the scripture <laughs> that we just read, <laughs> is on names, naming and renaming characters. Naming characters is really, really hard. 
<laughs> Have you noticed? It sure is. It took like, me so long to come up with Lambert's name. I'm pretty sure I have spent longer deliberating on character names than my wife and I deliberated on our second kid's name. Like, I'm reasonably <laughs> sure that that is the actual truth. Now, some of that is because we'd kind of worked out some ideas ahead of time, and we had a theme that we kind of wanted to stick to, and, you know, this and that. But character well, names are hard. If you if you add up the amount of time that you guys spent talking about the name of your second child, it probably exceeded it, but you didn't have to take it all at once, like when you're doing character creation. No, no, that is true, too. That is very true. But yeah, yeah, naming characters is really hard because you want you want to hear the character's name at the table and not have it like great on you. Yeah, that's and, part of it. You know, a lot of the time, if you're like me, you want it to be at least somewhat symbolic sometimes, or at least sometimes. I don't always do that, but sometimes I do. It's got to be suited for the character. Absolutely. It shapes the character in many ways. You know, a character named George is a lot different from a character named Astaroth, just judging by the name. Yeah, although we're going to get to the name George towards the end of this outline. Yes, that's that's why why I mentioned it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, names are tricky. There's a lot that goes into a name. We read a lot of scripture about names and renaming because it shows up so often even in the Bible. This is not just a a quirk of role-playing games. Names matter a great deal. Quite a bit, yeah. You see this a a lot in the Old and New Testament. I mean, we had two passages from Genesis, one passage from Isaiah, two from Matthew, one from Acts, and one from Revelation. That's a lot of the Bible. (laughs) Well, we skipped over all the prophets who named their their children different symbolic names and all this other stuff. I mean, yeah. it's, it, there's a ton that goes into it. But we literally have something from the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible in this. And a great many in between. Exactly. Yes, we do. Names, as it turns out, are kind of important in scripture. Yeah. And they're also important at the table. Yep. What goes into a character's name? And we've talked about some of this already, but I like a name with meaning. I don't know about you, but I like to give it... Yeah, I do too. ...some meaning. It depends on the context, right? Like, for this Fellowship game, I just made up something that sounded right. But often I will find a word or a name that has meaning built in already and go with that. Good example from Genesis, right? The, uh, our reading from Genesis there with uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh sounds like and may be derived from the Hebrew verb for forget. You know, when Abraham says, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household, well, he's literally named his child forget. (laughs) Or or not literally, but very close to. And then Ephraim sounds like twice fruitful in Hebrew. You know, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Uh, Sorry, Joseph, not Abraham, getting our, our verses mixed up. In Legend of the Five Rings, I looked up names that had different meanings, Japanese names and what they meant, picked a a character name based off that. Uh, With our Birthright game, I was looking up Gaelic names, doing the same thing. You know, it's an easy way to come up with an interesting name that also gives you a a foothold on the character from the get-go. Yeah, I definitely did this with our D&D game. Have you ever looked up Lambert's name and what it means? No, I have not. You have Google. Do it. I want to hear your reaction. Uh, all right. Uh, baby name Lambert. And by the way, uh, baby names. Let's just talk about baby names for a second. Yeah. Okay. So baby name books are one of the most wonderful resources that you can have as a GM or as a writer. You can walk into any bookstore and buy one for less than 10 bucks. Very handy. Yes. <laughs> or just go on the web. Also Trust that. me. 
Now, there are plenty of websites with names of dubious provenance. Let's just say that. Many of them will try and come up with names or meanings for names that are pretty nonsensical. <laughs> yeah. But go to the more reputable ones, and you should be able to find any number of meanings across multiple languages and cultures, which is great. So yeah, Lambert, a German baby name uh, meaning bright land. He's a good aligned nature priest. Yep. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> yep. Perfect example. I've done similar things, like I said, for, for my characters. Baby name lists are great. If nothing else, just grab a bunch, throw them into a table, roll a die, and boom. Great for NPCs. One of the things also that's great about having access to the internet and, you know, baby names and stuff like that is you can actually craft a search with the meaning that you want first. So, you know, yes. names meaning this or that, and then see what comes out and pick from that. Because it'll, like Grant said, it'll give you this nice cross-cultural table, basically, that you can pick from. And then just pick something that sounds like it'll roll off the tongue well, and you're off to the races. Yeah. Now, this is one of several places where I should probably mention, be careful when you're appropriating stuff from other cultures. Yeah, you'll notice I, I took a Western European name for my player character, because yeah. that is my descent. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm not, names are one of those things that I'm not too averse to, you know, saying, hey, if my character's from here, they should have a name like this. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm not sure that's appropriation, but be careful know where the line is on that <laughs> there, there's also the matter of i am of western european descent and i'm used to making those sounds with my sure. voice yeah so, <laughs> some of the african languages for instance are beautiful but i just can't pull off like the clicks and you know even just some of like the rolled letters that you hear in the mediterranean languages very tricky yep i mean there's just not what we're what our tongues and, and mouths are trained to do i nope. hear you i mentioned Two, that character names are kind of a, a characterization shortcut, and that's very valid, right? Lambert means a certain thing. Well, now in Peter's head, he's got something relevant to hang that character's hat on. Yep. You know, I've named characters after virtues that they're supposed to embody, you know, or the, the deity they're supposed to be a, a faithful servant of, that sort of thing. Yeah. Naming a character after some element of their origin or their history, very valuable. Uh, you can also do this ironically. A name that implies or means one thing may just emphasize that lack, right? A chastity may not be chaste at all. Clement may utterly lack mercy. And that kind of serves to quietly highlight that lack, which is a useful characterization trick. Yeah, <laughs> the, the brutal guy named Clement is a little extra scary. Yeah, exactly. Random names are also pretty fun. And let's be honest, this is what a lot of us do. Because yeah. sometimes you just need something that sounds right. And in many games, sounds right is totally fine. Yeah, if you're just doing like a generic fantasy game, you know, as, as long as it rolls off the tongue well and you can spell it, you're good. Yeah. Because who knows what that means in that setting? And who cares? You, you, can, you can make it up, actually, on the spot. If you want it to have a symbolic meaning, you can assign it one. Sure. And, you know, generic fantasy doesn't necessarily mean high epic fantasy. It can be space opera, science fantasy stuff. Think about the nonsensical names of Star Wars. Ah, yes. Right? As long as you kind of have a goo goo gaga kind of sound, you've got a Star Wars name. It's yep. great. And the nice thing about that is it's disconnected from any other historical context, which kind of has its own merit. Yeah. Random name generators are plentiful. They're occasionally even useful. I've used them before. I would not lean heavily on them, but if you just kind of need to hit the random button a few times to start figuring out what kind of sound you want, go for it. It works. Yeah. I've or done if it. you just need a name for the watch captain right now. Oh, yeah, sure. Just be careful with them because sometimes they'll be like, oh, that's 
that's just not right. Yeah. Why is the grim old 50-year-old watch captain named Squiddle? Well, or it's just, <laughs> okay, this is kind of nonsense. All right, no, none of these, none of these, none of yeah. these. And soon you're just clicking, hitting a button repeatedly, playing the, the lingual lottery, trying to get something that works instead of just going, uh, yeah, his name's Bob. Yeah. He has a name. Nobody has had the courage to ask him what it is yet. They all just call him Captain. Yeah. <laughs> There's also another trick that I have used before, where if you have kind of a certain sound that you want to hit, but don't want to quite use that name, take like a, a real name that's fairly common and swap out a couple of letters. Sure. Goodness knows that's how many new mother forums end up with their names. <laughs> I'm not going to get off on a rant on those forums or baby names or anything like that. I promise. But there is one, and I just want people to know it's there. <laughs> Grant is one half of a very dedicated set of parents that take their job very seriously, and every once in a while that is comedy gold for their close friends. Enough said. <laughs> so yeah, names are tough, right? But there are ways to come up with names that work. What's more interesting for me than naming a character, though, is the idea that you might rename a character. And this is kind of what I've been wanting to drive at with a lot of the scripture that we picked out for this episode. Yeah. Characters in many, many stories get renamed. We see this in scripture. God renames Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel, Simon is renamed to Peter, and that's just God renaming people. Others yeah. are renamed by other figures in the Bible. Daniel is called uh, Belteshazzar in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the Babylonians liked long names, apparently. <laughs> well, sure. But it's a different language, too, yep. right? It makes yeah. total sense. And we see this all the time in genre fiction, right? Fantasy, somebody comes into a power, they get a new name. Superhero comics, even aside from the question of my secret identity versus my public superhero identity, when a superhero changes, their name changes. Yep. In sci-fi, you see this a lot with different aliens. Popes and kings very often would take different names when they ascended to power. You'd see it all the time. You know, somebody has a, a childhood name, and then when they become an adult, they're given an adult name, and the childhood name is thrown away because they were a child, and now they're a man or a woman. Yeah, I, I know at least Catholics do confirmation names that uh, they'll give out to children going through confirmation. Sure. And then, of course, you know, in marriage, often there's uh, name changes in marriage, even in our own culture. Yep. So here's a question. Why don't we see players renaming their characters? Well, for one thing, it's more record keeping. And as we have previously stated, it's hard enough to come up with one good name for a PC, much less two. Okay, I'll grant you that. But hey, let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. <laughs> well, and that's true, right? It's hard to come up with a new name. And I can certainly see that it would be somewhat confusing, potentially, if people weren't paying attention, yeah, or if somebody true. was changing their name for no good reason. Or if they did it frequently. Right. But if I've got a character who goes through some major event in the story, and it's, it's a very powerful moment, something that changes the story and the character in significant ways, surely the rest of the players can remember that that happened. Yeah. Uh, sure, you know, the first time you might go, uh, Bob, I mean, uh, Smith, whatever we're changing the name to, you know, we might yeah. screw it up the first time or two, but it'll quickly, it'll quickly settle in. Yeah, and occasionally you'll get moments where the players will say, well, I know him from when his name was whatever. But Right, and that's really cool, right? Yeah. I knew him back when he was Harry, not King Henry. Yeah. Right? 
And I like the idea that this is an indication that this is a new person in some way, that the old name is no longer suitable and that there is a new person in this story, a revitalized, transformed character. This actually goes to the verse from Revelation that kind of got touched on in a sermon that we're going to link at the beginning of this. Yeah, okay. That was the inspiration for this episode. Quick note about this sermon. This is one of the most powerful sermons I have personally ever heard. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Grant was kind enough to share it with me before um, we recorded this, and this one is worth your time. Yeah. Uh, and I'll link you to it. Um, the video is the whole service, but I've got the timestamp in the URL, so it'll take you straight to the start of the sermon. Uh, actually, to the start of the scripture that's involved. And it's it's worth noting, this is a pastor who's no longer at the church. I think he's actually retired from ministry. Fairly young, but, you know, he had a family to raise, and pastoring does not pay as well as banking, as it turns out. No, pastoring so, does not ter- pay as well as a lot of things, actually. Which is unfortunate. It is. And I know we have several pastors who will agree with that, listening right now. <laughs> yes. They're certainly not looking to be televangelists with airplanes. It would be nice if it was at least a uh, comfortable middle-class income. Let's move along. <laughs> it would be nice if they were not worried. Yes. Yeah. But this particular sermon was given, like I said, by an associate pastor who I really quite liked at our church. And it's very personal, very powerful. The main thrust of the sermon is not names. Uh, it's a much more powerful and deeper sermon. I want to come back to the main thrust of that sermon as well at some point, talking about forgiveness and redemption. And the fact that we don't want to spoil a sermon should tell you how worth your time this piece of video is. That is telling. But it mentioned Revelations 2.17, and that has been sticking in my head for a while, and thinking about it brought this topic to mind. So I encourage you to, to watch that sermon, listen to it. I mean, there's not a whole lot to watch, but... Take it in. (laughs) Consume that particular piece of media. Yeah, it's well worth your time. There's a lot to be said about that moment of transition between the old life and the new life. We're a big fan of redemption stories on this podcast, I think for obvious reasons. Yeah. Marking that moment in a character's development with a new name, I think has a lot of value. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a rename. One of the other options is giving characters multiple names. We see this in a couple of different ways, even in scripture or through history. (laughs) The Apostle Paul is probably the most obvious example. A lot of people think that Paul changed his name, right? He was named Saul. He converted to Christianity and became Paul. That's actually not what happens in Acts. Saul is a Hebrew name. Paul is the Roman form of the same name. It would be kind of like if I started going by Piotr if I was living in Russia. Right. Very similar. But there is some relevance to that name change. It's not just coincidental that we see this name change in Acts 13, verse 9. Saul is a zealous Jew. When he's writing in Philippians 3.5, yeah, 3.5, he says that he is circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. That's Saul describing himself, or Paul describing himself. Saul used the Hebrew form of his name because he identified as a devout Jew. Even though he's born a Hellenistic Jew, he's a devout Jew. But after encountering Christ, he eventually became the apostle to the Gentiles. It's a name we hear for him in, in Romans eleven thirteen. And as such, it's natural that he would start using the Roman form of his name while traveling and preaching in the Roman world. 
again, 1 Corinthians 9, 22-23, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Well, using that Romanized name is part of that becoming all things to all people. It's a more universal name. And certainly there is some some value in the idea that he has a different name because he is a different person after encountering Christ. He's no longer a devout Jew. He is a Christian, even if, you know, the name Christian didn't really factor into Paul's writings. <laughs> in fact, he's the first Christian theologian. The first one that we have writings of, anyway. But it's not a different name. It's the same name, but presented differently with a different language. And that sort of rendering in different ways of the same name, I think, can be a very useful tool in your own game. Let's say you've got a dwarven character. He's a good friend of the elves in your campaign. Earned the friendship of the elves. How do the elves say his name? What does that sound like? If the elves have said, this is how we say your name, this is what we call you in our language, you're one of us, hey, maybe that means that he's, a you know, got a connection there and that's indicative of something. Or it's, where did this character come from? He goes by Stephen, but his parents call him Stefano. Well, where are his parents from? Yeah. It says something about his background. The Stephen Stefano thing kind of brings to mind uh, the Americanized names that immigrants got at Ellis Island. Sure. That can be, you know, entering a new culture sometimes comes with a new name. If for no other reason, then it helps you fit into that culture a little bit better, which is exactly what Paul was doing. Yep. It's a more approachable... I mean, okay. So I'm a waspy white dude from the Midwest. If somebody is coming here from an Eastern European country like Poland or Czechoslovakia or something like that, those of us who live in this part of the country can eventually learn to pronounce those Eastern European names if we get to know the person well enough. But it's hard. And a lot of the time, immigrants know that, and so they will deliberately take on a name that, at least that they'll use in their day-to-day -day life, that's easier for the people around them to pronounce because it helps build familiarity. Yep. And, you know, with um, immigration in the early 1900s, oftentimes it was, all right, your name sounds like this, this is your new name. Yeah, it was part <laughs> there, of the there wasn't process. even a yeah, there wasn't even a choice in the matter. Yep. These days there is, but right, exactly. Now, of course, there's also additional names. We've kind of talked off and on about names acquired at major life junctures. One of my favorite series of all time, Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea novels, features this where you have a true name that is given to somebody as they enter adulthood, and the name actually has magical power over them because it describes their essence. That's a thing that they only get at that major life moment. I have really got to read this series someday. Yeah, you really do. I don't know why you haven't yet. It's just time. Let me let me put it to you this way. When I graduate, there's going to be some binging that happens. Fair enough. <laughs> Would it help you do so if I tell you it's also one of the major inspirations for the game we're currently playing? Uh, it will certainly make me more anxious to have the time to get around to it. <laughs> good enough. Good enough. It's the best I can do. Um, <laughs> Right now? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Epithets are also a useful form of this name. We talked about Paul. Paul the Evangelist. It's a title or an honorific that's given to him. Richard the Lionhearted. It's not a one-size-fits-all title in the same way that Earl or Baron is. Yeah, or even King, yeah. Sure. It's, an, it's a unique and descriptive honorific. There are no other the Evangelists. Yeah. There's just Paul. Paul the Evangelist. And these aren't always flattering. Um, no. 
the terrible has been attached to, you know, Ivan. Sure. The Impaler. Yeah. Mafia or criminal nicknames will sometimes go to this too. You know, yeah. uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano comes to mind. So yeah. it's, it's a, a good example. Nicknames, another form of this additional name. They say something about this person and they're, they're also context dependent. Who gets to use that nickname? Yeah. If you meet somebody in the underworld whose nickname is Knives, they're probably not a safe person to be around in a dark alley. Sure. Uh, one of the historical characters that Robin Laws has been talking about a fair bit recently on Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff is a 30s L.A. mobster uh, whose nickname was Bugsy. But you'd never, ever called him Bugsy to his not face. Not to his face, yeah. Because he hated the nickname and being the most dangerous mobster in Los Angeles, more dangerous and more feared than his boss, you did not do that. Yeah. But everybody also knew that that was his nickname, which is interesting, right? Yeah. It's context dependent. You talk about him this way, but never to his face. They did that with um the first villain in... um. Luke Cage, the Netflix series. Mm, there you go. Uh, he was called Cottonmouth, but he hated the name, and uh, he would react violently when people used it around him. Sure. You get a little bit of that with Two-Face. Yeah? Uh, from Batman. Well, he can react violently to just about anything, but yeah. We talked a little bit about events that cause renaming, like passage into adulthood. There are others. Maybe a blessing or a curse. Redemption. Yep. Any sort of moment where the character drastically changes. Maybe also a fall from grace. Yeah. An anti-paladin, when he becomes an anti-paladin, takes on a new name. Yeah, something like the Black or the Fallen gets added to the back of his name, for, insta for instance. Um, right. Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. Yep. Can also just be a rite of passage. We've talked about, like, communion names or names that you're given as you transition into adulthood. Yep. Those would definitely fit. There may well be others, depending on your story. Uh, if you go out and do some special rite or something, you know, maybe you get a new name because of that. Gang initiations. Yep. Uh, and sort of get that in cyberpunk stories. Where does somebody earn their handle? How did they get that? Yeah. Right? What rite of passage, you know, what challenge was set out for them that they got that name? That That's always kind of a, a fun question. And I think one that's often not explored in cyberpunk, right? You yeah. Know, hey, here's my street name. Well, where did that come from? How yeah. did you get that? How did you get the name Osprey when you're, you know, not involved in aviation or anything? Yeah, Why when you you're a dwarf. One? Yeah. Like, okay, you're a dwarf who refuses to get on an airplane. Osprey? Really? You've never seen the ocean. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> You're in the middle of a sprawling slum, like in the northern part of the Indian subcontinent. Where did you get that name? Right. Okay, that's cool. Let's get into that. And some of this yeah. can be backstory. Some of it can be interlude story. It's however you want to do it. There's also the question of who renames the character. Yeah. Is the character coming up with a new name for themselves? Or are other people giving a name? Or forcing a name. Sure. Again, that gang initiation kind of thing, often, you know, somebody in the gang names them after they've been initiated. With online handles, often it's, I'm going to come up with this, I'm going to try a few different ones, then, oh, hey, this one's stuck. I'm going to keep using this, right? This, yes, is, this grows, this is an identity that I'm growing into. And two decades later, I'm still known as Time Spike, and people will occasionally call it to me, to my face at conventions, which is weird. Whereas I've gone through three or four, because I've been through different iterations of my online personality, yeah. you know? And that's, that's always an interesting process. Last thing I think we want to talk on is the weight of a name, new or old. And we kind of talked about this before with the meaning in a name, but yeah. we kind of want to talk a little bit about the 
the pressure that a name can put on a character. Okay, so speaking as somebody who is actually named Peter, take it from me that symbolic names or ones with a lot of historical weight tend to exert some pressure on you. You can look at it as either something that you want to embrace and try and live up to, or you can rebel and kick against the name like we um, talked about with kind of some of the ironic virtue names and stuff earlier in the episode. Either one of those can make for an interesting character. The other thing that's interesting is a name can have a literal meaning that does not really give you a proper appreciation for how much weight that name has. And when I was working on the outline, the perfect example of this is the name George here in America. Think about all the different people who have been named George. You've got three presidents, famous general, famous scientist, several famous musicians, the creator of Star Wars, the author of 1984, and that's just the highlights of the first part of the list. George just means farmer, if you go to the linguistic roots. But when you name your child George, you're probably not referring to agriculture. And on the other side of that coin, there's a very good reason why nobody names their children Adolf anymore. That's very true. Now, to a certain degree, George is so ubiquitous that it doesn't carry that much weight. But it can. Yeah. And this is one of those places where, when I was talking about cultural appropriation, this is where that really does matter. A name has a meaning, but it also has a cultural context. Yep. So if you're not sure of that, be careful when you pick one out, if you're borrowing from another culture. It may not be at all appropriate to name a character who behaves a certain way a particular name, you know, especially if it's got a uh, historical or religious connection. Well, and here's another example. If you name somebody Joseph, are you talking about Stalin or the Old Testament character? Because those two people are diametrically opposed in basically every way except for being male humans. Right. It's weird for English speakers to name children Jesus. But not Spanish speakers. Nope. Spanish speakers, Jesus, is entirely normal as a name. There's cultural weight that attaches in one culture, but not another, to the same name. You yep. know, Joshua is totally fine in English. Jesus is the Greek pronunciation of and form of Joshua. We say Jesus because it's important in, you know, when we're talking about scripture to make it clear that, that one, yeah. that one, this is a very special person we're talking about in scripture. And there's a great deal of tradition behind that. We don't want to just lump him in with other Joshuas, however important they were. <laughs> Not even the other ones in the Bible. It exactly. bears mentioning. That name Joshua has meaning. When, when the angel tells Joseph and tells Mary, hey, name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's because the name Joshua has a meaning related to that. But again, it's, it's said differently in different languages. There's a great deal of weight on Jesus in English. Yep. Joshua? I've got next door neighbors, I think, named Joshua. I have childhood friends with that name, yeah. Yeah, how many Joshuas did I have in class growing up, right? Two or totally three normal at least. Name. Yeah. Yeah. So be aware of that. I don't have a whole lot else to add to this other than the fact that I'm certain we have not touched on everything. Oh. <laughs> Names <yeah>. are <laughs> We big have and scratched the surface, but we are running up on time, so... Yeah. I do want to hear your thoughts on naming. One thing I do want to mention is we had a, an interesting conversation on Twitter with one of our listeners, Justin, who was talking about halflings in a game that he played. They had two-syllable names, and then every time they, there was a major accomplishment in their life, they added a syllable to the name. Wow, that's interesting. It is interesting, right? And apparently it, it didn't happen much in the game that they played, 
A PC did add a syllable. They never uh, got to a fourth syllable. The campaign died before then. They were playing like once a month. So like 24 sessions, I think, total. I totally get it. But I I like that idea. And that's a a good example of that idea of additional names, keeping the old name and adding more information to it. Also, Jim, Jim Namban, who's a constant contributor of ours. Jim, awesome guy. Yep. Player character got turned into a vampire, and this was uh, back when being turned into a vampire meant you were no longer a player character. Old, old gaming. Yeah. You know, oh, wait, you something interesting happened to your character? Turn that into the GM. No, sir. <laughs> you can't have the interesting bits. Those are not for you. Right. But the player's last act was to advise the GM what the vampire's name would be as a vampire, which is <laughs> kind of cool, right? It's part yeah. of the handoff, which I, I like. That was neat. Jim also reminded me, one of the earliest novels that we have uh, from anywhere is uh, uh, The Tale of Genji. It's uh, a Japanese novel written by a woman. What's weird and confusing about it is names constantly change without warning. It makes it very hard to read if you don't have some sort of concordance or guide, right? Something saying, hey, so this is what's happening. But names are changing as part of the, the normal process of living in that culture. Because it was assumed that everybody knew that, the novel just doesn't note it. And you have to figure out from context, oh, this is this is the same guy, okay. It's very complicated. But it's a good example of, you know, a historical culture where name changes are relatively frequent to the point where it's just assumed that people get it. Yeah. So, cool stuff. Yeah, you walk up to somebody and like, what are you called now? <laughs> right. Well, you're, I think you're expected to know ahead of time, otherwise it's very rude. That's, I think, everything I have to say about names, but I definitely want to hear more from you guys. I know, like I said, we've just scratched the surface on this. Yeah, that halfling thing really kind of drives home just how much neat stuff on this topic there is out there. Sure, If you've got that stuff, share it with us and the rest of our community. This is a a really cool way of adding weight and richness to your gaming worlds and sessions. Yeah, and our comments on our main website, stgcast.org, Comments on each episode's blog post are a great way to do this uh, because it gets discussion threads started there. And, you know, I keep a close eye on those. We are uh, fortunately largely spam free. I keep a tight hand on that. And WordPress is actually pretty good about catching most of it. So there's a lot of good discussion there. I think we've only had to stomp three or four spam messages in the last year. Um, a little bit's been slipping through lately, but that's because of some new tricks. And I'm Uh, sure the Akismet folks are working on it. So, yeah, it, it happens. It, you know, it's a the it's arms a, race of the Internet. <laughs> it's an arms race. That's exactly right. Again, uh, like us on social media, share us around. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, we're looking forward More to your feedback that, on this. Yeah. Come and interact with us. We, we love hearing from you guys. Absolutely. All right, folks, take it easy. Have a good one. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.